We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Mahomes has the time, delivers, perfectly downfield, touchdown, Patrick Mahomes with a rope. This one, Adams, touchdown! This time going deep for Beckham Jr. We welcome Travis May back to the show today for our Thursday episode. If you caught him on Tuesday, you know the treat that you are in for today. We're talking about the 2021 NFL Draft. We're talking about rookies. We're talking about the Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide, which is available to order now. Uh, it's been a phenomenon over the past several years. Had a lot of really cool guys working on this. You know Curtis Patrick. You know Travis May. Blair, Dave, myself have some uh, interesting pieces in there as well. But Travis, really the heartbeat of the guide, and we have him on to discuss some of the uh, most controversial players in this year's draft. We're going to start, uh, Travis, with some Oklahoma State Cowboys. They've got a couple players in Tillon Wallace and Chuba Hubbard who they're actually a couple of my favorite guys, but they are in a situation now where they have arguably hurt themselves by not having gone into last year's draft and really for very different reasons, right? We've got Wallace. He had a 1,400 yard season as a 19 year old sophomore. And he's really kind of one of those players where I think he's been hit pretty hard by the requirement of being three years removed from high school. Help us understand the injury situation that has led him to actually posting a yardage share above 40% in each of the last two years but without generating the kind of raw numbers that maybe are going to grab people's attention and potentially push him into that first round range. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with Tylen, I think back to 2017 when, you know, James Washington was still there and averaging like 20, 20 yards per reception. And then he left and left a huge void. Everyone was trying to pick, okay, who's going to be the guy to break out? Who's going to be and like, everyone got it wrong. <laughs> and it was Tylen Wallace that, that just, 
came out and just wowed us with almost 1,500 receiving yards that year and just dominated week in, week out. And everyone was hyped and everyone had him ranked highly. And he was in the the conversation to win the Boletnikoff Award for best wide receiver in all of college football. Uh, kicked off 2019. It was right back in it. You know, over 100 yards receiving per game again, just racking up the stats, looking incredible. And uh, and then, of course, he had to, you know, tear up his knee, uh, which was awful. Uh, and, and because it was late enough in the season, you know, that would have just destroyed his entire uh, draft prep season. He wouldn't, you know, there was no way he was going to be ready for the combine, even a pro day. He might not have even been ready to kick off his his rookie gear had he entered the 2020 class. So it, it could have been a mess. Like had he come out last year, maybe a team would have trusted the potential and trusted what they saw, but you know, he might not have even been able to play until, you know, right, right up till like week one. And so no one really knew. So he decided to go back and man, that, that definitely, I, I think hurt him because of uh, how much of a, a mess the Oklahoma state offense was at times this year, but still, he did have like really good numbers for what he had to put up with. Like he didn't have the crazy pace that he was on uh, in 2019, but you know, ha- having to deal with uh, you know Ethan Bullock and uh, Shane Illingsworth, uh, man, who was a true freshman because of uh, Spencer Sanders missing time and everything. Like it, it was, it was ugly there for a few weeks. But uh, in the games where he was just on the same page with Spencer Sanders, he was looking like the Tylen Wallace of old adding yak consistently uh, but that offense as a whole kind of struggled and so that really killed killed uh, the perspective um, on all their players really because <laughs> I think there were some people that thought oh maybe Spencer Sanders could develop into something and that didn't work out so they had offensive line issues and a, a whole bunch of uncontrollable factors and injury untimely injury really really potentially derailed what could have been a, a, a first round pick for Tylen Wallace in the 2020. Uh, NFL draft had he just stayed healthy so I hate to see that because I think he still has that kind of potential which is why I still have him right around that borderline uh, first and second round rookie pick you know it's still a top 15 guy for me I'm still a believer because of what he did and, and what he he still can do consistently among the highest in terms of the act per target just incredibly efficient guy so even with a bad situation this last year wasn't bad in that regard so Still, still definitely a believer in what Tylen Wallace can bring. Now we know that guys who stay for their senior years, the the results for those players as they transition to the NFL is just night and day different, and unfortunately worse than players who declare early. That'll be something that I'll cover in Volume Two of the Rookie Guide. But with Wallace, obviously there are very clear extenuating circumstances, and like I was saying, I mean, if he could have declared after his sophomore year, then maybe he would have gone very, very <laughs> early. At, at the right. same time scouts don't seem to really be on him i mean you don't see him talked about as a potential first round pick in the reality draft and that is strange to me watching him where when we have small guys who succeed in the nfl and and don't go and and make plays on the ball i mean you have brandon cooks who i think you know it's not even that much of a criticism it's just a a fact i mean he's not going to go make a play on the ball and yet except for the 2019 season where he had the concussions i mean he puts up 230 fantasy points like clockwork (laughs) you have someone like wallace who seems a little bit more like a tyler lockett or you know maybe even a steve smith where you know you watch him play he he goes and gets the ball in the air he has all of these fantastic highlights why do people not see him as any more than kind of a run-of-the-mill prospect Honestly, at this point, I think 
most people kind of already, I don't know, the, the, the super draft nerds, like they don't have to really talk up Tylen Wallace because every time he's healthy, he's in the conversation for the Bletnikoff award. Um, and so they, they already saw that, oh, three years ago, this guy was already going to make it in the pros. Okay, there's an injury. Okay, he's probably a day two lock, but we don't really have to say anything because we've already been talking about this guy for three years. Whereas, you know, you guys, you look at guys like uh, Devontae Smith who blew up this year that clouds over everybody, and so everyone's drooling over him. And and then we want to argue about whether he's skinny enough or thick enough. And it's just that with Wallace, there's not much to argue about. <laughs> and so I think we, we like to look at other guys and that we can argue about more. But I think with Tylen, it's really simple. Incredible producer, yak monster, goes, gets the ball. Um, Is he going to be a first-round pick? No. Last year, he didn't look like himself just quite yet, not 100%, and most people don't coming off of it, uh, you know, in that first season following the ACL uh, recovery. Um, So I think the context with him is just more understood. Like, I think he's still going to be a day-two pick. I don't think he's going to be – uh, a top 50 pick. I think he's going to be around two, late round two or early round three guy, which for our fantasy football purposes, we want to see guys go earlier. But I just, I, I think that there's, there, there's going to be a team that looks at his overall complete resume uh, and says, you know what, we can, we can use that and we can, we can get excited about that and plugging him in as a really solid wide receiver too for our NFL team. And that not, might not mean that his uh, fantasy ceiling is just out, out the wazoo, but I think he could be a long-term uh, consistent role player with a decent peak like Emmanuel Sanders or something like that. Travis, take us through his teammate now, and if it's a similar situation or not. You've mentioned how bad this offense was. Hubbard definitely hurt himself by going back for his red shirt junior season after posting almost 2,300 yards from scrimmage in 2019. I was looking at I really thought that a year ago he had a very good chance to slide in front of players like a J.K. Dobbins, a Cam Akers. You look at what actually happened and you think, I mean, heck, maybe the Chiefs even select him instead of their ill-fated Edwards Alaire pick. Does Hubbard possess the rare sprint speed that is often attributed to him? And if he does, I mean, is he really that different than an ETN in terms of sort of the ceiling and even in some ways the floor if he's got that speed and we know what he did in 2019 why should we be worried about his 2020 season yeah so i think a lot of people are going to be worried about his 2020 season and i think it's going to be blown out of proportion because of what he was dealing with he apparently wasn't i mean he wasn't i mean it was not even like a, a secret he was not completely healthy uh, for his whole final 2020 season the offensive line was bad uh the quarterbacks he had to deal with uh, a, a true freshman and a guy who had never really even played a snap uh for i think three or four different weeks uh and so yeah if you look at the overall body of work for his career you're like how did this guy drop off from 2300 yards from scrimmage to this uh and it reminds me of like carry on johnson when he came out and maybe this isn't a good example because he kind of faded away but carry on johnson i think that all the, the film nerds were kind of looking at, uh, you know, like a four game span against some really tough competition and seeing a guy who wasn't healthy, was dealing with broken ribs uh, and thought, man, this guy's bad. And I think people are doing the same with Truba Hubbard looking at 2020 going, man, this guy, you know, he, he's getting tackled too easy. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a really high breakaway percentage, whatever this year. 
uh, without and just ignoring the context there. Uh, he does have the breakaway speed, especially when he is completely healthy. I mean, he was he was aspiring to be on the Canadian Olympic team, actually. Uh, and so he, he's really, really fast. To me, he reminds me of, uh, reminds me of Amon Green. Like he's he's not quite as thick as Amon Green, but he has that sprinter speed. He runs a little bit too upright, but he still can kind of get through the hole. Uh, has has some decent vision. And so for me, I look at a guy uh, that just a year ago had 2,300 yards from scrimmage, was one of the most dominant forces in the entire nation. We finished, I think, uh, seventh or eighth in the Heisman voting. You know, a guy that is a difference-making talent. Uh, I'm not going to ignore that and just look at 2020 and go, oh, yeah, this guy's bad. That just really just feels like really bad process. And um, to, to nitpick a guy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In his 2,300 yards from scrimmage season, uh, I've seen some really bad takes uh, just from his even his 2019 year. So I don't get it. To me, he's obviously the running back four or five at, at, at worst in this class. He's going to be a day two pick for sure. So I don't know what we're really uh, knocking him for at this point. Well, that's good to hear. I, I know that I'm going to keep drafting these two guys, even if it's to my detriment. So uh, I like to hear that they still have uh, some very positive potential outlooks for uh, 2021 in the future. And after the break here, I know Colm has some questions he wants to ask you as we get into Superflex. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Hey everybody, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz flagship podcast, just stopping by to say thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. We're offering our listeners a special 10% discount when they use the promo code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Again, that's 10% off a one-year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2021. Thanks for listening and keep on tuning in. So obviously we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks on the show. Superflex has become one of the most popular formats and particularly in dynasty circles and uh, decisions of quarterback now have become some of the most important elements of solidifying your franchise's long-term future. Uh, I think it was last week or the week before we kind of broke down 
some of the different uh, aspects that would go into that. But when we looked at Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance, a lot of scouts appear to prefer one of the latter two, while Dynasty owners are pretty much universally uh, having Fields at the top of that list. Uh, what do you expect in terms of this year's draft, uh, you know, in the order of those guys going off the board? And then with those uh, four quarterbacks, do you expect them to be off the board in the top 10? Or do you think maybe uh, some of them slide a little bit? Yeah, anytime you try to cram four quarterbacks in the top 10, that's that's a, a lot to ask. But I think that that, that is definitely uh, potential this year for that to happen just because, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been since age 16 kind of a lock to go in the top 10 in, in the NFL draft. Uh, but I think one thing that's kind of getting lost in all this is that Justin Fields has been right there with Lawrence the entire time. And the only reason that we're not uh, just as excited for Justin Fields uh, or maybe some real draft people aren't, is because he just has a shorter resume because he made the poor decision of going to uh, Georgia where for some reason they thought it would be a good idea to start Jake Fromm over Justin Fields, uh, which that's just hilarious looking back at that decision. But Justin Fields, again, uh, also since age 16, has been like the guy. Like everyone knew, okay, this is guy, this guy's a future franchise quarterback. And then he goes out has an incredible production profile and really by the numbers is almost identical as, as a passer to Trevor Lawrence, maybe, maybe a slight edge to Trevor Lawrence and just overall complete resume. And he's done it longer uh, because he started immediately for Clemson, but Justin Fields has all the raw you know attributes that all the film junkies love. So I don't know what they're doing. Uh, maybe they're looking at like a, a Northwestern game this year where Fields struggled because of all the COVID pro protocols and then missing literally 25 players from the roster, including some of their coaching staff uh, and going in facing, you know, a top 10 defense on short, on a short week and like no practice. Um, people are really good at just ignoring context, but uh, fields is just, he's obviously the quarterback too. And then there's a, a huge, huge, huge gap. And then Trey Lance, uh, you know, facing off against FCS competition, that's going to be the knock on him. Uh, Zach Wilson playing <laughs> not very good competition either in his only good year. And when he has faced tough competition, he has struggled, even against Coastal Carolina, uh, who ended up losing to Liberty in their bowl game. Like He, he struggled against uh, really his only tough competition this entire season. So I think they're both going to get knocked there. But Lance, he has the the edge with the mobility over Zach Wilson. Wilson has a few touchdowns, but overall he's not – the runner that I think Lance is. So for me, Wilson, like for a hot second there, people were trying to put Wilson in the fields conversation as QB two, and maybe some, you know, bad NFL GM is going to make that decision. Uh, but there's just no comp Like there's just no conversation uh, between he and fields. Uh, there's just, there's not one thing that Zach Wilson does as good and definitely not better than Justin Fields. So, I like all the guys. I really like Mac Jones. I liked Kyle Trask until he kind of faded out completely at the end of the year. But yeah, this is just a really fun quarterback class, really stacked. And I do think it could be interesting to see four guys going top, top 10. And we could see six guys go top like 36, which we haven't seen that since uh, the, the Colin Kaepernick class. So I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be interesting. The other, just one question, I guess you, you mentioned Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, uh, and you mentioned the gap between kind of Wilson and Fields. Do you think that the, you know, those two guys in terms of Jones and Trask are closer to Wilson than Wilson is to Fields? Or do you think, what do you think the gap is between those guys? 
I do think so. Yeah. And when you look at their adjusted uh, production profiles as passers and, um, you know, maybe Mac Jones doesn't have just as much arm strength or, or whatever as, as Zach Wilson, but uh, he, he ran the most efficient, best offense in, co- in college football, maybe the best offense we've seen in a, well, in a very long time outside of just last year's uh, LSU offense. So Mac Jones is definitely closer to Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. And for me, honestly, I think Mac Jones is right there, if not over Zach Wilson. Uh, I think there's a little gap in between them and, and Trask. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, those guys are closer to Wilson and Lance uh, than they are to, uh, well, than Lance and Wilson are to Fields for sure. Travis, moving to the tight end position, it feels like every year in the offseason, we're told that tight end is getting deeper. And then when we're in the season, we're told, okay, the position is a barren wasteland, which <laughs> I think is a little bit more accurate, right? Yeah. Uh, in 2020, Travis Kelsey was right there with Alvin Kamara in terms of dictating fantasy titles. Our listeners know that Rotoviz, the site, and Rotoviz OT, the podcast, We've long been on Team Elite tight end, and that brings us to a really interesting guy in this 2021 class. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but are there any scenarios in which Kyle Pitts could be the 101 in tight end premium? And if not, I mean, could he slide in there once Chase and Etienne are off the board? You know, it's it's funny. Like Travis Kelsey is is unbelievably dominant, and he has been. I think what he's been number one tight end for five straight years now, something like that. Uh, so when you do have a difference maker, uh, just an elite option at the position, that that helps. Like I've had a couple, you know, fantasy teams that he's been on for all five of those years, and that's been great. Um, but I think banking on or betting on uh, any of these guys, and no matter how good we think they are coming out of college, to immediately make that kind of impact that difference making impact or even ever making that difference uh difference making impact is is um kind of a low percentage bet and so i think for me i i couldn't have him uh him being kyle pitts from florida uh as the 1.01 first pick in rookie drafts and i don't think he's he's there even in tight end premium for you know after etn and and chase i don't think that that's that's super great process i think um you know, he might hold his value uh, for a while, but I don't think he's going to hit in, in that elite kind of way. We don't have much precedent, like even Travis Kelsey, we don't have much precedent for guys doing it like that. Maybe, you know, maybe George Kittle uh, is the exception. Uh, and, you know, when he's been healthy, he was he was on a faster pace yardage wise than anyone else in NFL history. But I'm not going to bank on uh, Kyle Pitts being that as much as I, I love him. Uh, he is incredible. I think he can be a sub four six forty guy. Uh, he had like over a thirty percent dominator rating, accounting for you know more than thirty percent of Florida's passing offense at his peak. And he's six six, two hundred fifty pounds. He checks all the boxes. He he's not just an inline guy. He can be a big slot. He can even line up as your X wide receiver. And so I think that's why people look at him and go, "Oh my goodness, he could be Travis Kelsey." Maybe he can, but uh, that's not the bet I'm going to be making. The 2020 draft was uh, extremely shallow at tight end and kind of to hint at what Sean said earlier, you know, obviously the expectation at tight end can be uh, a little bit uh, off the reality. But uh, in terms of, I often say it takes a couple of years for the tight ends to develop into the league. But this year we have guys like uh, Pat Firmuth and uh, Bevan Jordan for owners who might miss out on somebody like Pitts. Uh, I'm assuming you have those guys well behind somebody like tj hawkinson and noah fant from the 2019 class but uh 
probably well ahead of somebody like Cole Komet uh, from the previous this previous year's class. Is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah, and it's funny. Like the last year was absolutely gross. I mean, I I, I still uh, believe that Albert <laughs> Albert Bonham, uh Aquaman, if if you if you will, is probably the best tight end in last year's tight end class. And it was a gross class. It was it was as bad as you know maybe the class that came out and we had what Max Williams was the tight end one. I don't even know when that was, uh, but like it was it was a really weak class. So I think uh, the community overall just overreacts. And it says, oh, yeah, I forgot. Tight ends are garbage. Uh, but at the same time, there's this weird dichotomy because we, we, we have people saying that Kyle Pitts is like the 1.01. 1. 01. Uh, but then at the same time, I just ran this uh, kind of Twitter uh, poll mock just to kind of see where rookie consensus was. I do it every year. And Kyle Pitts went 1.06, like sixth pick. And then Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State and Brevin Jordan out of Miami didn't even make it into the second round. And so like there's this huge gap after Kyle Pitts. Even though Pat Byermuth and Brevin Jordan are probably both going to be top fifty NFL draft picks, so I don't, I don't see, I don't understand that kind of drop because I, I think that they're both, um, and, we, and really realistic, we, we we could see three first round tight ends again. It could be like another twenty seventeen situation, but uh, like with OJ Howard, David Njoku, and Evan Ingram. But because of how those guys panned out, I think people are again burned and and skeptical of rookie tight ends. So outside of like the guys that were expecting to be the next Travis Kelsey, like Kyle Pitts, uh, you know, people are like, eh, I'm just going to take a shot on this fourth round running back, which is, that's just horrible process in my opinion. So it's, I think Pat Farmuth and Brevin Jordan are going to be amazing values unless something changes uh, in rookie drafts this year, because I think that there's not that, not that huge of a difference between Kyle Pitts and those guys like peak Farmuth, Like he was accounting for like 28%, uh, Penn State's passing offense, catching like eight touchdowns in his first season uh, with, with well, actually playing. I believe it was it was his redshirt freshman year. But Brevin Jordan, his peak production has been incredible too, basically being the wide receiver one uh, for Miami. And so I think that there's not that big of a gap uh, between um, you know Pitts and those guys. But and all three, and even Hunter Long out of Boston College, all four of those guys are better than anything that came out last year. That's really good info there travis I, I i want pits in drafts where i can get him and it makes sense and i can afford to wait but you know targeting the other two guys tactically i think is is such a better decision and i tend to load up on on second round picks and so those will be good targets for me if i can you know make myself wait it's it's good to hear that about them and i think that's important to remember in terms of trying to manage your risk by targeting those guys like that who may be undervalued Charles, we're going to go to a lightning round. It's going to be fun. We're going to get just really quick answers on a handful of guys who are close. But before we do that, uh, one of our favorite listeners has a question. I think it'll be a good question for you here. I think it's the question that's on so many people's minds right now. And that's uh, Pia Toro is asking us, he says, and specifically about your appearance. So we've got to get this in here. He's especially excited to hear what we think about Jalen Waddle. Yeah, so Jalen Waddle is... Uh... A nightmare to really look at analytically, right? Because he, uh, coming into the year, he absolutely needed to kill it, right? Because he had like a, I think it was his adjusted production index was like a 15th or 20th percentile, like the kind of range that says absolutely never draft this guy. Like that was what his production profile looked like, even though he had the, the electric returnability, he had made some big plays in a couple of big spots. 
Uh, people like the upside. And then he comes out and is looking like, you know, he's, he's accounting for just about 30% of the offense for Alabama in his uh, first four or five games this year, and then goes down with the injury. And so we think we know what, what he was going to be, but it's, it's such a projection. And so I don't think that Devontae Smith would have had 1,800 yards had Jalen Waddle been healthy because uh, John Mechie is not, he's not as good as Jalen Waddle. Uh, and Jalen Waddle has uh, elite level speed and athleticism. And I think the NFL is going to love that. So what we have to just understand is the draft capital is already, already implied. It's coming. So we just have to factor in like how, how confident we are that he can really garner a bunch of market share and he's not going to just be, you know, a, a deep threat or kind of a situational guy um, and get left in that kind of role. And maybe he becomes a really good kick returner. Uh, and so that's, that's the problem. So I think really, I'm not going to be taking him very high. He's, he's probably like my wide, even though like he might be the second, heck, even the first wide receiver off the board, if uh, the NFL is really bad at this still. Um, but for me, he's, he's no higher than wide receiver five or six in this class. And so I'm probably not going to have any Jalen Waddle. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay betting uh, against um, uh, what uh, what his production profile, what what his overall skill set says about him. Cause I love that he's electric. I love that he's fast. You know, even like, you know, even people that just watch football casually understand that he, he can make a difference, but I'm just not sure that for fantasy football, uh, it's going to be a trustworthy volume play wide receiver for, for Waddle. I, uh, I have some Debbie shares of Waddle. And so I'm hoping he does a little bit better than that, but I also share some of your concerns. And if you're looking for people who are extremely fast, this draft has some sleepers who maybe again, don't have the complete profile, but you're going to have a chance to take some very fast guys a little bit later. That might be something you want to do again to manage that risk. Speaking of Waddle, he's going to start us out here in the lightning round column. Take us away. Yeah, so it's probably going to answer itself, but uh, Jalen Waddle or Terrence Marshall? You know, and that's that's the thing. I think that's where Terrence Marshall, I actually go with Jalen Waddle just ahead because of the draft capital and implied early opportunity. If it is that Marshall is a first-round pick, I might change my mind, but um, I, I believe that Waddle is probably right there, just one notch on the ladder ahead of him on my ranks, even though you know that he's like my wide receiver five or six. Uh, Marshall's just right there with him. But uh, give the edge to Waddle for now. Seth Williams or Amon Ross St. Brown? I'm going with Seth Williams there. Like uh, He kind of got uh, abused by the Auburn offense being incredibly inefficient, but he still found ways to be uh, you know, the dominant force there, accounting to, for up to almost 40% of the Auburn offense at his peak, uh, finding ways to um, maintain some level of, of efficiency, uh, looking very average in terms of yards per team pass attempt overall, but but I think that uh, he's a big-bodied guy that can score a lot of touchdowns. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown has the pedigree, but never really got there. He, he kind of never had the peak that we like to see. And uh, I think he's more of a, a long-term pro, but I, I just don't think he's going to be uh, you know, the, the alpha on any offense in the pros. Jamar Jefferson or Kenneth Ganwell? Jamar Jefferson, I don't know of anybody that had uh, a more quiet 1,500-yard true freshman season uh, than Jamar Jefferson. He's on you know, West Coast, Oregon State. Nobody stays up and watches their games. They're a bad offense. But he still finds ways to produce even when there's no reason that he should do that. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell is a little bit light, a little bit skinny, has one incredible season. I do like Gainwell, 
they're actually back to back in my my rankings, I think, for running backs. But I, I give the edge to the the size for Jamar Jefferson, the uh, more uh, overall complete production profile. He kind of had a, a year where he struggled with injury, but sandwiched it with a really impressive year. The year that we wanted Chuba Hubbard to have, Jamar Jefferson had that this past fall. So give the edge to Jefferson. How about Trey Sermon or Kylan Hill? I'm going to go with Trey Sermon. Uh, I think we what, what he flashed, uh, even as a true freshman back at Oklahoma, we saw him kind of finish that off down the stretch this year uh, for Ohio State uh, when he really, really had to kind of answered the call in, in the biggest moments. Kylan Hill, I do like. Um, uh, he's more of like an early third-round rookie pick for me right now. Uh, he had a really weird uh, career just because he – you know, kind of didn't blow up immediately, had a really big year, and then coaching change happened, and he went from being all rushing first to, you know, catching like, oh, I think it was like almost 10, 10 or 11 receptions in a game or something this year just because of, uh, you know, the Mike Leach coming in and being, uh, you know, the air raid offense. And so Kylan Hill proved that he could learn and adapt quickly, and that's cool. But I think uh, Trey Sermon is the more complete guy with better vision, more prototypical runner. Uh, that could actually take on a, a pretty sizable workload. Uh, so give the edge to Sermon. So two more in the lightning round. We have uh, Javian Hawkins or Jared Patterson. I'm going to give the edge to Hawkins there. He's, he is a breakaway running nightmare. Just big play after big play after big play because he's got difference-making speed. Uh, they're both a little bit undersized. Patterson had that crazy 500-yard game or, or whatever uh, this year, and that was awesome. Uh, but I, I think I like Javian Hawkins to be uh, a guy that sticks. And uh, even if he's not a feature because of his speed, he has that elite edge over a guy like Patterson, who's just kind of really good at everything. Okay. We're going to finish off by asking if one of these two guys who are expected to be fairly cheap could be the next chase Claypool compare for us a couple of big athletic receivers in stage Sherat in Tamarian Terry. Oh man. If, if either of them is going to be Claypool, uh, in terms of just blowing it up at, uh, you know, athletically this spring and, and gaining a lot of steam and hype and, um, you know, using their speed to win like, like clay, like Claypool has done. I think that's probably going to be Tamarian Terry to fit that kind of mold. Uh, but I actually have Sage Surratt just, I think rate ranked right ahead of him. Uh, I think Sage Surratt has, has everything uh, without the, you know, he can't probably run 24 miles an hour with pads on like Tamorian Terry, but he does everything else, I think, just slightly better. I think he's got really good tracking, uh, ball tracking skills. I think he's got a little bit better, uh, more sure hands that we saw. Really, we saw Terry have some drop issues and even in limited action uh, to end last year and even early this year. And Sage Surratt, I mean, he's a genius. I don't know if you guys realize this, but he actually he actually said no to Harvard. Uh, he he could have played there and he was like a two sport, just all-star athlete, one of the best high school basketball players in North Carolina history. Um, and, uh, wanted to stay closer to home, played for Wake Forest and, uh, uh, you know, set out, redshirted his year. So it looks bad cause he didn't have the true like age 18 or 19 huge breakout, but really when he had the market share and opportunity, he dominated, uh, and just, you know, went down with injury t- before the end of the season in 2019. But I, I really think, say, Surratt's ceiling is higher. I think Terry has, has some great raw tools going for him. He's got the speed, but I think Surratt has the edge for me. 
And Travis, just before we finish up, I uh, just want to obviously mention the College Accountant podcast uh, on Rotoviz Radio. You've uh, done a phenomenal job since kicking that off uh, in 2020. Uh, and I just want to let you have the floor to uh, give a, a little plug to the listeners uh, as to why they should, if they haven't already, they should have already, but if they haven't, uh, why they should make the jump over to those uh, weekend listenings. Yeah, so College of the Canton is is a lot of fun. It's really I, I take a look at the journey from um, early on in their recruiting journey, like a, you know when they're still in high school, all the way to the conversation about whether they should be in the Hall of Fame. And so the idea is from college to Canton, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and just uh, talking about everything, really mainly prospect analysis. Uh, I love Debbie fantasy football leagues. I love college fantasy football leagues, and so um, you know I'm watching these players as they come in trying to figure out who the next guys are going to be you know when they're juniors in high school and i mean you know i will get these guys and watch the whole journey and so it's just breaking down everything uh from you know big college action and names to watch for the future to current nfl player values and and uh whether they should be in the hall of fame and how they can help your fantasy football team so it's everything for real football and fantasy football i wanted to marry the two uh, and talk about uh, some of my uh, favorite fantasy football formats like college to Canton leagues, uh, where you can actually have a college fantasy league and an NFL league running side by side. So going to really get in, into that and discussions of how to win there too. Uh, so try to you know have something for every kind of football fan, um, whether you're fantasy or college or NFL, there's always something for you. So it's just a, a, a fun place with, uh, with some fun guests and yeah, you can just check out the college to Canton podcast with uh Love to have you guys. Well, Travis, it's been absolutely awesome to have you on the show. One of my favorite parts of uh, rookie drafts and the whole draft process is those round two, round three picks in in rookie drafts. And I think that some of these guys that we mentioned today and that lightning round breakdown, it just whets my appetite even more uh, for some of these players who are a little bit lesser known. We talked a little bit about those tight end targets. I think that round two, round three, you can really dominate again this year. And that, of course, brings me back to the draft guide, reading your work in that, uh, the great stuff from Curtis, from Dave, from Blair. I, I'm pretty fired up about it. So I hope that readers and listeners will get out there by the draft guide we mentioned on tuesday that we're going to do a little bit of a contest here where in the next couple of weeks the best five-star rating and review that we get that discusses how rotoviz overtime helped you win your league in 2020 the best uh, rating review that we get for that will win a free version of the guide we hope the rest of you obviously check it out as well and yeah, Travis, it, it, it's been a blast to have you on the show. And for folks who enjoyed these two episodes with Travis, the guide and his work in that is even that much better, or I don't know better, but they're both fantastic. <laughs> and so Travis, thank you again for being on the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me again. This was this was a blast of talking about rookies, and we'll be doing a lot, a lot more of that over the next few months, but uh can't wait. Yeah, looking forward to it and uh, hopefully doing some draft content with Travis uh, over the next couple of months. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're following Travis on Twitter. It's at FF underscore Travis M. And of course, check out the College to Canton podcast as well. Uh, highly, highly recommended. Uh, make sure you enter that five-star contest that Sean mentioned just a moment ago for your chance to win one off the guides. And uh, that's going to help us uh, wrap up today's edition of the podcast. If you didn't listen to Tuesday's show yet with Travis, head back and listen to that one as well 
uh, you won't regret it. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. As always, my co-host on the show is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's great work at rotoviz.com. And until we're back next week with another two shows, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with this country, the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.